0: Life gives us a storyline, and too many people just walk that out as their truth, instead of understanding they have the pen in their hand every single day of their life.
1: Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have Kevin Brown in studio. Kevin spent 20 years building a little-known family business into the number one brand in their industry, with annual revenues reaching $2 billion. Along the way, he has learned a thing or two about overcoming adversity, dealing with change, and creating a culture that drives organizational excellence and customer loyalty. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Hero Effect. Today, he shares with us his own story, the difference of positive thinking versus optimism, and how to rewrite the story of your life. To begin the interview, I asked Kevin where the idea of his book and work, The Hero Effect, came from.
0: The idea for this came about a decade ago. I had a client that said, you know what, we we really want you to talk about something other than what most speakers talk about. We really don't want to hear about leadership, vision, communication, customer service, all that stuff. Something unique. And I said, well, tell me about this group. And they said the easiest way to explain this group is it's a group group of heroes. These, these folks show up every day. They show up in the wake of disasters. They help people put their lives back together when they're broken it's really just a group of heroes, man. Could you talk about what it means to be a hero? And I'm like, "Uh, sure. And then they (laughs) they left the room and I freaked out because I didn't have a hero speech and had really never even thought about it. We use this word all the time. We throw it around to describe companies, uh, sports heroes. um, But what does it really mean? And so I started a decade ago. I had a yellow pad, I had a clean sheet. One question, what does a hero look like? And from that day till this, my life has never been the same you know and if you go through what you normally think of when you think of heroes first thing i thought of was our military men and women right we can't have a conversation about heroes without honoring the gold standard men and women who go to work every single day to keep us free to protect us allow us to chase our dreams and then we talked about you know doctors and nurses we talked about Uh, First responders, we talked about the world changers, Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. Started working through all these different categories of heroes. Great companies, companies like Southwest Airlines, Apple, Zappos, Amazon, Disney companies that really defy comparison, defy commodity. And we just started working with this thing, and I started asking anybody who would listen. I mean, I I bugged people to death just asking one question. What do you think of when you hear the word hero? And they told me all of these answers, and there was a common definition. I've asked thousands of people the question. They always define heroes as ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And I thought, yeah, 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 that's right. And I wrote it down. seemed reasonable to me. But after a few hundred times, I was like, is that really all there is? I mean, is that really true? And the more I studied it, the more I thought about it, the more I talked about it, the more uncomfortable I got with that answer. Because really, if you buy into the idea of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, you have to first convince yourself that you're ordinary in the first place. And I don't think there's anybody on this planet that was put here to be ordinary, to make an ordinary contribution, to be ordinary parents, to be an ordinary leader, to be an ordinary friend, spouse, human being and the more i dug into this the more the message revealed itself to me and a decade later we've redefined what it means to be a hero as heroes are extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary and that's what set this whole thing on fire for us
1: who's the uh, i'm curious now who's the earliest hero that you can think of for yourself
0: not to be too cliche but my dad you know, my dad's a vet and uh, my dad worked in a factory. My dad never made a lot of money. but He's one of the strongest human beings that I've ever known in my life. You know, three kids and no no money to speak of. And uh, he and my mom were really brilliant at um, at making sure that we had everything that we needed. So my dad was and still is one of my biggest heroes. I lost my mom when I was 26. Uh, she was in a car accident. Drunk driver hit my mom and dad, and uh, they were able to save my dad, but they couldn't save my mom. And and uh, I remember my dad, instead of being angry with the young man who had who had um, run into them, he just he he said, "I don't want him to go to jail. I want him to go to rehab. I want him to get better. I've already forgiven him for what he's taken from our family, but I want him to get better." And uh, it was the first time where I really started to understand what grace is. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad, having just lost his life partner of 34 years was still willing while he's laying in the hospital at Vanderbilt University, um, hooked up to every kind of machine that you can imagine. They didn't give my dad, um, they didn't give my dad a very good prognosis. They said he wasn't going to live through the night. And, uh, two weeks later he walked out of that hospital and, um, I'll just never, ever forget him extending that grace to the young man who was a 22 year old kid. And, um, it was just my dad's example of what heroes do. Heroes heroes forgive. Heroes make things better. He couldn't bring my mom back, but he could maybe protect that kid from himself. And um, it was a powerful moment.
1: Had had anyone ever done that for him in the past, or where do you think that came from?
0: You know, my, my dad went into the Navy when he was 16 years old, and he had a pretty rough upbringing, and... Um, I'm sure somewhere along the way, and it may have been the Navy <laughs> um, who helped kind of pick my dad up and, you know, wash away some of his past and give him an opportunity that he that he may have, may have n- never otherwise had. My dad went back to school after he got out of the Navy and got his GED and um, just keeps working every day, you know, and he's 70, gosh, he's 78 years old now, and um,
1: he's still my biggest hero. Wow. And now I'm sure a lot of other people have shared their stories of heroes. Who are some of the favorite stories that you've heard or, you know, seen examples of? Uh,
0: Well, if you think about the classic heroes, you you know, we always we want to talk about Peyton Manning and LeBron James, Michael Jordan. You know, well, sports heroes are, you know, off the charts. Serena Williams. And there's so many examples of people you can point to that literally rose from nothing. Took every disadvantage, turned it into their advantage. And you you can look at somebody like Nelson Mandela. You can look at Martin Luther King Jr. Heroes are all around us. And what's funny is we are so quick to point at the heroes around us, but we never point at the one within us. And that's what drove me on this mission was to say, why, why, why is it so hard for, and I get humility. I understand there's so much of the humility factor that comes into this. I'm not a hero. I'm not this, I'm not that. But that self-talk is so destructive because if we can't rise to the person that we're supposed to be, then we can never make the contribution that we were put here to make. And it is my firm belief that we were here to make a contribution to society to each other to the greater good and the narrative in this country right now needs people to step up i have a line that i use a lot and that is the world needs your hero the world needs the uniqueness that you showed up with you know if you go back to the idea of ordinary thinking i mean if you go back to the very beginning you know science tells us the day you were dropped off at the pool there were a hundred million other kids dropped off at the same moment you were the one that got here out of a hundred million opportunities for somebody to exist it turned out it was you and I don't think there's anything ordinary about that. I think we were put here with talents, gifts, and abilities as unique as our fingerprints. And we were put here to use that to leave a mark on this planet that can't be erased. And so when you think about all of the heroes, I've run into heroes in gas stations and grocery stores, drive throughs um, banks. I've run into heroes all over the place just by simple gestures. And I never say random acts of kindness because I don't believe in random acts of kindness. I think if they're random, that's a problem. Kindness should garner our most intention. We should be intentional about being kind to other people. And we we just say things that don't make a lot of sense. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things, random acts of kindness, think outside the box. None of that makes sense, right? We should be intentional about being kind. We're extraordinary. Maybe we should start acting like it instead of shrinking into this ordinary facade that most people go through life. We go through life with our heads down. We don't even see each other anymore. And so I think heroes have have the opportunity to show up in just about every nook and cranny of life that you can look at, you just have to look for them. And we have to stand in that mirror and say, what can I do to show up and make life better for somebody else? Because that's all heroes do. They just make life better.
1: Well, you, you have a great example of, of heroes in your own household. Mm.
0: Yeah, you got that right. I, I married <laughs> a hero uh, for 23 years. I've had the privilege and honor of being married to just an amazing human being and, um, she, um, she's more than I ever deserved. I'm married way out of my league, way over my head. I do everything this woman tells me to do because I don't want her to leave. And uh, for, for the last 17 years, I've watched what she's done with our son. We have a 21-year-old son with autism. And when he was five years old, they gave us a formal diagnosis. And they in that diagnosis, they started, started explaining what his life was not going to be like. Instead of talking about what he could do, and what life should be like. They started putting limitations on our son with this diagnosis, with this label, which is the worst thing about labels. And I don't care what the label is. You can put a label on somebody but with every label comes limitations. And they put the label of autism on our son and they started telling us what those limitations were. And my wife cried for 30 seconds. Um, I had a pity party that went on a little longer than that. I started buying into what they were selling. I started thinking about everything that my son, his name's Josh, I started thinking about everything Josh wasn't going to do. And I looked back at Lisa, and the teardrops were gone, and she went into mama bear mode, and she did what true leaders do. She took the storyline that life gave us, and she started to rewrite it. You know, it's fascinating to me, Brian. So many people go through life. They take the storyline life gives them, and by storyline, I mean diagnosis, uh, their past, their perceived deficiencies, whatever that is. They have this storyline life gives us a storyline and too many people just walk that out as their truth instead of understanding they have the pen in their hand every single day of their life and my wife is a brilliant leader and she knew the pen was in our hand and she did what leaders do she started rewriting the vision she told her son she said cover your ears don't you listen to what he just said i heard what he said josh but that's not your destiny and i've watched as this vision she planted in him that day attracted teachers, tutors, guides, mentors, coaches. A vision will attract everything you need to make it happen. And in 2016, May of 2016, he graduated with honors from high school um, and then went on and had a college experience. And now, uh, you know, he's just living and loving life. And, you know, what an example of a hero. And my wife probably tell you she's not a hero. And, you know, we we have this debate in our house all the time. You know, what does a hero look like? And uh, heroes show up as moms and dads. Teachers, coaches, friends, spouses, show up in every every nook and cranny of life, and that one decision to take the storyline and rewrite it changed that boy's life forever.
1: Something I, I do like too about what you talk about is is how these people are, you know. So have such you know can have such normal jobs and and your your Disney story is one of my favorites. I mean there are a lot a lot of Disney stories out there, but yours is is probably the most unique I've heard. So so tell us the uh the, or the Apple Pancake story. Yeah, the
0: Apple Pancake story. Uh, really, Apple Pancakes is probably what changed my life and changed the trajectory of my career. I spent my entire career in the franchise world, cut my teeth in selling, and um, thought I would stay there forever. Never saw anything like this coming, but this idea called apple pancakes changed my life. When Josh was seven years old, he discovered Walt Disney world. And as a, as a child with autism, when he got that on his brain, it was the only thing that existed in the whole world. I mean, it was 24, seven, 365 Disney. Uh, even now today at 21 years old, if you go into his bedroom and the TV's on, it's on the Disney channel. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. Um, there's, there's a lot worse that could be, um, put into his mind. So But at seven, he discovered Disney, and that's all he wanted to do. We waited until he was nine years old. We wanted to make sure he could enjoy the trip, and it wasn't so overwhelming for me. (laughs) Because I'm not a good vacation taker. Uh, Disney did not appeal to me. Disney, you know, I was a workaholic back then. And, in fact, my wife, Lisa, she said, babe, I need you to be there for this trip. I need you to leave the laptop at home. I need you to leave the work behind. This is really important to our son. I need you to show up for eight days. And, uh, you know, I did... Did my duty. I said, yes, ma'am. And, um, and we packed our bags. We made a list. I left the work at home and we went to Disney. And little did I know that trip back in 2007 would change not only Josh's life, but it changed the trajectory of my life. And um, we, we encountered a chef there. Uh, we showed up for breakfast the very first morning, and my son ordered his favorite, which was apple pancakes. And they're special apple pancakes. My wife, for years, made all of his food from scratch because he was on a gluten-free and dairy-free diet. Because, you know, there were studies that showed that taking the gluten and the dairy out of the diet would help with the autism. And so he was on a very special diet for a long time, and we got there. And of course, he ordered apple pancakes. My wife explained to the chef, executive chef, very sweet lady. Her name was B. And, um, she said, she called Josh S- sunshine. She looked at him and said, <laughs> sunshine, I'm really sorry. I don't have the ingredients to make apple pancakes. Your mom told me how to do it, but I don't have the stuff. And, uh, she made him some bacon and eggs and some special toast. And it was, uh, it was just fine. I mean, we had a, we had a good time. We were satisfied. And as I reflect on that moment now, you know, we use this word satisfied a lot, you know, and I have a friend of mine, her name's Kelly Swanson. She says, nobody notices normal. And I think about that in the context of being satisfied, because we left that encounter with with this chef, we left that breakfast satisfied. But the truth is, satisfaction doesn't really get us a ticket to the dance. There was nothing really notable about it, nothing noteworthy. And I'm amazed at how many companies chase satisfaction. They chase customer satisfaction or employee satisfaction, vendor satisfaction. We chase satisfaction, which in fact makes us like everybody else everybody's chasing satisfaction. Don't we want enthusiastic ambassadors? Don't we want unpaid spokespeople for our brands? That's what we're really after. But yet we chase satisfaction. And my friend Kelly Swanson, she says, nobody notices normal. And I think satisfaction is normal. And so we left that experience satisfied, nothing earth shattering. We didn't write a letter to anybody. We didn't call anybody. We didn't text anybody and say, Hey, we just had a satisfactory breakfast. It wasn't until the next morning. When we got up and I said to Josh, I said, Josh, where are we eating breakfast? And he said, Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. And I, I looked at my wife and I was confused. And I was like, who? who? And she said, the executive chef, her name was B, Bea, B-E-A. And I said, brother, there's lots of places to go, lots, lots we could do. And he goes, Dad, I want to go see Aunt B. Back out of the room, down the escalators, back to the same restaurant. And we got there, and she came out and she looked at Josh and she said, Good morning, sunshine. What's for breakfast? And he said, Apple pancakes, please. And she said, You've got it, babe. Coming right up. And I was like, Oh, t- time out. Time out, Aunt B. Do you remember us from yesterday? And she said, Yes, sir. I said, Aunt B, yesterday. She said, Why are you calling me Aunt B? And I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Family thing. I said, B, yesterday you didn't have the stuff. And she said, true. I said, today you do? She said, yes. I said, where did you get it? She said, the store. And I said, so you sent someone to the store? And she said, no, I stopped on my way home last night. She said, we have these stores all over Florida. Everybody <laughs> can go. And I remember looking at her and I asked her a really dumb question. I said, why? why would you do that? And she said, because that's what he asked for. I said, well, how did you know we would be back? And she said, I didn't. But I didn't want to be caught off guard the next time somebody asked for him well, I don't have to tell you, we ate there every day for eight days. Mm-hmm. And Aunt B in that moment became a permanent member of our family and really a permanent member of our story. She's just a, a brilliant, brilliant leader. She's a beautiful soul and she shows up every day, not afraid to wear the cape, not afraid to make a difference, not afraid to be larger than, pro- listen, she could have mailed it in and just said, hey, I don't have the stuff. Hey, you know, I, if I had the stuff, I'd make it for you, but I don't, sorry. Read the menu because we, we just don't have that. But she didn't do that. She did what heroes and leaders do, and that is, how can I make this better? What can I do to make this better? And she made it better. And um, that was our introduction to Aunt V and the hero at Disney. And then 10 years later, we went back and had a more amazing experience. This was after Josh graduated from high school. He graduated with honors. You know, the kid that wasn't supposed to graduate. They told us if he graduated, he would get a special education diploma. The asterisks would be by his name, and he graduated with honors, and there was no asterisks on the diploma. And we asked him, hey, listen, to reward you for this awesome achievement, we'll take you anywhere in the world you want to go. Where would you like to go? And I'm thinking, let's go to Australia. Let's go. You know. <laughs> and he said, Dad, I want to go see Aunt bee." And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And we went back in uh, July of 2016, which was a mistake because the average temperature in Orlando is 478 (laughs) degrees in July. But we went back for another eight days and we reconnected. We reunited with Aunt B, And we had an opportunity to sit down with her and she told us her story. And she said, you know, when you were here in 2007, I didn't know anything about autism. From that day till now, I've not stopped learning about the effects of nutrition on kids like Josh. You've made me better at what I love to do. She said, in 2016, we'll serve over 1 million kids like Josh. We didn't have the capacity back then, but we re- re-engineered our special dietary meal program, and we'll serve over a million kids in 2016. And you know, we always think influence is a one-way street; it's always a two-way street. And then, um, you know, fast forward to today, you know, after Josh got through high school and and his college experience, he decided that he wanted to try to get a job at Disney. And so, three weeks ago, the Brown family picked up and moved to Orlando, and um, we'll plant roots there. And, And try to help him pursue that dream so it's amazing what 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 one moment in time can do for your life and um, we're we're living proof of that heroes show up every single place heroes my son's a hero my son's a hero when you don't buy into the vision that life casts for you it automatically makes you a hero when you're willing to step out of the shadow and into your potential when you're willing to step into the gifts you were given instead of hiding behind the things that you think you don't have my book that makes you a hero
1: You know, so many people take a sort of pessimistic view of life, you know, like, well, it's probably going to fail anyway, so I don't want to try. I don't want to get my hopes up. I want to be kind of optimistic, but not. How do you get people to kind of rewire their thinking?
0: Well, I think it starts with rewriting that vision, right? Taking the storyline that life gives us. Life's never going to give us what we want. Life's never going to. Listen, we're going to get a diagnosis. We're going to get some news. We're going to hear something that is less than what we wanted to hear. That's how life works. But are we willing to take that and recast it? You know, I, you know, don't get your hopes up. I heard that growing up all the time. Don't get your hopes up. That's probably not going to happen for you. That happens for other people. It doesn't happen for us. Our last name is Brown. We got, the universe has a target on us. We don't know why, but things just aren't going to happen for us. And I think my message to the people who, who have been taught not to get their hopes up is to get your hopes up. You look at anybody who's ever become the best in the world at what they do and tell me that they didn't have to get their hopes up. Tell me that they weren't facing a storyline that was less than what they became. Tell me that the best in the world at what they do didn't face adversity, didn't face failure, didn't face criticism, didn't face people telling them, don't get your hopes up. But what they did was they got their hopes up. They got them way up. They got them way up above everybody else. And then they pursued that vision every day of their life. I'm a strategy guy. Or I used to be a strategy guy. You know, I was, I was, I'd get all wrapped up in the plan. And over the years, I've learned to be more of a vision guy. Because if you, if you talk to the really, truly successful entrepreneurs, the high-performing athletes, people who've really gone out in the world and, and made a difference, they chase a really big vision. They don't always have a great plan. They can probably put their plan on one page if the truth was told but they have a really big vision and they get up every day and work toward that vision. And if I think personally, I believe if you do that, you can't help but hit a higher space than where you started. You know, it's like Les Brown used to say about, you know, chasing your goals. You know, the problem with most people is not that they aim too high and miss it's that they aim too low and hit. (laughs) And I think so many people, now we're back to ordinary versus extraordinary. It's easy to not get your hopes up when you're ordinary. When you buy into that ordinary um, label, the limitations that come with that, don't get your hopes up.
1: Now, tell me, uh, too, I know, you know, wherever you talk about these the hero's journey, there's always this mentor that shows up. Who Who is a great mentor for you?
0: My first mentor in business and in life was a guy named David. There were lots of other mentors in my life. I just didn't see them because I wasn't ready to see them. I wasn't ready to receive them. I wasn't ready to be mentored. It was so much easier to be miserable. When I was miserable, see, when I was from age 13 to 16, I went through a pretty dark period in my life. I was betrayed by some adults in my life, sent my life kind of in a tailspin. Life got ugly. It got complicated. And um, I quit school in the 10th grade. Uh, I burned a lot of bridges. I broke a lot of promises, developed some really bad habits, bad relationships. And by the time I was in my early 20s, I lived in my car and uh, sat in this car contemplating life. Do I stay or do I go? And I met a guy named David. I answered a newspaper ad. I had to go to a payphone. And a lot of people listening to this don't even know what a payphone is. <laughs> but um, I had to dial up a phone number, and uh, it, was a, it was an ad for a salesperson. And I was broke. I was really desperate. And it was really my kind of my last shot. And uh, back then, I was miserable. I didn't like myself. I didn't like anything about my life. Which, when I look back on it now, it was was an easy way to live because I had an instant excuse for not doing well. I could look to my past. I could look at what happened to me. I could look at how I was betrayed, let down, all of those things, and just use that as an excuse for not even doing well and feel okay about it. I don't expect much of myself. The world certainly doesn't expect anything of me. I mean, I went through all this garbage. I mean, what, what what do you want from me? And I met this guy named David. He was on the other end of the phone when I answered this ad. And he was willing to take a chance on me. He took me under his wing, taught me how to sell. Gave me a skill set that changed my life forever. But the best skill set he gave me was the gift of vision. He taught me how to see. He taught me the difference between positive thinking and optimism. You know, positive thinkers, they have a problem. They just ignore it, put their head in the sand. and They think if they just, you know, use fancy words and, you know, we don't have problems. We have opportunities. Um, You you know, they they stick their head in the sand. They just ignore it. The optimist, that's a skill set. Right. This is a muscle. Being optimistic is a muscle and they see the problem. They see the challenge. They don't ignore it. They see it. They call it by its proper name, which is a problem, and they go about the business of solving the problem. And I think that's the difference. And so I've trained myself to be an optimist with David's help. And he was the first one in my life that took the storyline life had given that 13 year old kid and he rewrote it. He said the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. And up to that point, it had been my home. I lived back with that 13-year-old kid, and it wasn't easy for David. You know, leadership and mentorship is not easy. If people are really interested in, in helping you, if people love you and they want to help you become a better version of yourself, they're, they're, they've got to go all in. You know, there's a lot of leaders and mentors, or they have the title of leader and mentor. They're not willing to go all in the great ones are willing to go all in and david did that for me every day he dripped on me every day he helped me grow every day he gave me confidence that i didn't have on my own and over time that 13 year old kid disappeared and he rewrote that vision for my life and i'll forever be grateful to him for that he's probably you know next to my dad you know when i look in the mirror and i see all of these people that stand around me as the influencers in my life. David is one of those people, he stands next to my own dad.
1: So, final question here. If you were to give advice to someone, what's one small step that they could do to change their life as soon as they get done hearing this, what would that be?
0: Well, first of all, go tell all the people in your life that you love, that you love them. Don't take a single minute for granted. I lost my mom when I was 26 years old. My mom was 54 years old when she died. I'm 51 years old. And I realize at this stage in my life, that there's more in the rearview mirror than there is out the windshield in terms of years. So the question for me is, how can we make that vision happen in the shortest time possible? Because life, we, we're only here for a finite time and we just don't know. And here's what I believe to be true. When I lost my mentor, David, when after he'd beaten cancer four times in 10 years after a six month diagnosis, you know, this guy practiced what he preached. This guy believed in optimism, he believed in vision. He was given a six month diagnosis. They told him he was gonna die in six months and he lived 10 years after a six month diagnosis. And um, the prognosis is usually in our hands and God's. And if we're willing to see a different vision, you can go get it. But when I lost David, I realized that as we go through this life, there's finite moments and people enter this little space called now. They come into our life, into this circle. They're on the other end of the phone. They're on the other end of sin. They show up in our business. They show up at our dinner tables. And we're usually too distracted to see them. And those moments are fleeting at best. And if we don't own the moments that matter, somebody else will. There's competition for the minds of our children. There's competition for the love and affection of the people in our lives, our significant others. There's competition for every single customer we serve and every employee that we serve with. And when we don't own this space called now, we leave the door open for somebody to take them from us. So the number one thing that we can do in our lives is to own the moments that matter and recognize that they all matter.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D of D & Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.